I'm sick and tired of living in this small house. You need to make more money so we can get a decent place to live. I'll sneak out and meet you around midnight. My parents are clueless, and they'll never know. As long as you live under this roof, you'll do what I say. I don't care what you say. You can't stop me from going to the party. I saw you checking her out. I was just looking at the brand of her jeans. I thought they might look good on you. All right, who's going to pray this time? Me, there Jesus. Thank you for all the ways you blessed our family. Hey, welcome today to all of our different life churches and our network churches and our extended family all over the world at Church Online. You are here for the first of a four-week series that I've been so excited about called Bless This Home. At all of our churches, let me get a little participation. How many of you would love to have your homes and families be blessed? Raise your hands up high. Raise them up high. There are some that do not have your hands up, so I'm assuming you want yours cursed. Of course you don't, do you? No, we all would love to see our homes and families blessed. But when you look at families today, in general, the first word that does not come to your mind is the word blessed, right? When we look at so many families today, rather than saying, man, they're really blessed, more often we say, wow, they're really struggling. Their, their marriage is, is not what it could be, or raising the kids is more difficult than they thought, or financially, man, we're, we're, you know, we're kind of living paycheck to paycheck. And admittedly, uh, there are a lot more temptations perhaps today than in the past. There's the challenges of uh, more and more blended families, which can be a blessing, but then you're raising your kids and her kids and our kids and both exes, and it's complicated, and we see a record number of uh, single parents today, which can be so difficult when you're trying to support a family on one income, and there's only one of you to carry all the load, and the discipline of, of, of raising the kids is, is overwhelming at times. And so what we're going to do is we're going to let the teaching of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5, when he taught on what is known as the Beatitudes, we're going to apply several of the Beatitudes into our homes. Now, some of you may say, but, you know, I'm a student. I don't have a family yet. Oh, my gosh, this is the best time to prepare your heart for future blessings. I would have given anything to have learned stuff like this uh, years and years ago. So I believe it will speak to everyone, and let me tell you where we're going to go in the series. Uh, next week, we're going to look at the teaching of Jesus when he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Uh, most of our homes would not be characterized by the word purity, but for many, it would be impurity of all the sins and temptations and struggle that we get into. How do we have homes uh, full of people that are pure in heart? In week three, we're going to study when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Everybody say peacemakers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. But often, we're around people who are peace takers, right? Don't anybody elbow the person sitting next to them. It's just the reality. How can we be peacemakers? And in the fourth week is my favorite week. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And we're going to see that when we are a Christ-centered family, people will actually make fun of us for our faith, and we're not going to worry when we're persecuted for being a follower of Jesus. We're actually going to worry when no one's persecuting us because we are 
been probably blending in. Bless this home. What I want to do is I'm going to be real transparent um, in this message series. And there are times when I'm going to tell you things that have worked from our home. But I want to tell you our family is so far from perfect. And it's always funny to me when some church member sees us somewhere and something goes wrong in our family. They're so excited about it. Like, oh, I'm so thankful your family's not perfect. I'm like, duh, duh. We are not perfect. Perfect. I mean, when, when my kids are misbehaving, I don't just break into a hymn and they all stop and start worshiping. It's just not like that. In fact, my, uh, my youngest daughter, Joy, she's eight, she was in her class and um, her teacher, uh, Miss Stephanie, also volunteers in my office. So that's how I heard this story. Miss Stephanie said that uh, all the kids were talking about how their parents always yell at them. And Joy, my daughter, said, my parents never yell at us. And she's like, well, there you are. Pastor Craig's family, once again, is perfect. And then Joy said it again. She said, my parents never yell at the kids. They yell at each other every day, but they never <laughs> yell at the kids. And she thought that was really funny and tells me that story every time I see her. Well, I told my kids that story, and Anna, who's 14, is like, Daddy, that's so not true. Not only do you yell at Mom, but you yell at us every day. <laughs> Too. So we are not perfect, but we are being perfected by the power of God. And so today, let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 for our first of the four Beatitudes we're going to study. And this is what Jesus said. Help me out, all of our churches. He said, blessed are those who what? He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I need some more uh, from you all. Those of you in Fort Worth, give me some love. Everybody say it aloud. Blessed are those who Hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what will you be, Jesus said, for you will be filled. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. And yet so many homes today are not filled with that which matters most, but are searching and striving for anything that would bring meaning. Why is that? Because we're filling our lives with things that don't matter and we're not as blessed as we could be because we're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for right living, for doing the right thing in the way we live to please God by faith and by the way we live. So here's a question that I want to ask all of you just for application, and I want to dare you to be really, really honest. Here's the question. In your home, what do you hunger in your life, in your dorm, with your friends? What are you pursuing? What matters most to you? And some of you with integrity, you could say, we're here to please God. Some of you, you'd try to say that with your Sunday school answer. We're here to please God. But if I ask your kids, they might say something entirely different. Just look, let's make it easy at the last seven days. Just the last seven days, what were you characterized as pursuing? What were you hungering for? And if you're honest, some of us would have to say things like, well, you know, we're really just trying to relax, which is nothing wrong with that. Or we're trying to have a good time. Or, or, you know, kind of for comfort. We want to work hard during the week so that we can do whatever we want on the weekend. We just want to have fun, to chill, to unwind, to do something fun. Nothing wrong with that, but let's call it what it is. 
Some would say, well, you know, we're hungering for uh, popularity. You know, we want to be liked. And so we're kind of about image management. Look at our family from the outside. Look at the way we dress. Look at our home. Look at our yard. Look at the cars we drive. Look at the way we walk into church. Don't we look like the happy Christian family? Don't anybody tell them we were cussing and yelling in the car. Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We're here to see you today at church. Glory, brother. Praise God. Look at the size of my Bible, you know. And, and so we're, it's, it's image management. For some, it would be just the win. That's what you're pursuing. Whatever the win means to you. The win might mean more money, bigger house. It might mean that your elementary kid was a student of the year. Maybe you've got a dumb kid, and so you're excited that your kid can beat up the elementary student of the year. You know, or, or it's, it's sports. You know, it's like, hey, you know, our, our, our child is the champion underwater synchronized swimming polo player in four and under. He's on the traveling team. And so we're going to be the best at that. Whatever it is for you, maybe it's the win. What are you hungering and thirsting for. And if you're like most people in our culture today, if you're really, really honest, you'd say over the last seven days, we were pursuing something or many things above God. We were not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So what do we do when we realize that we're hungering for the wrong things? What do we do when we realize that we have an appetite for things that do not satisfy and are not best for us? Well, we change our appetites. For example, all of our churches, how many of you love pizza? If you love pizza, say it loud, say, I love pizza. pizza. Is that all of you that do that? How many of you love pizza? Say, I love pizza. I love I love all kind of pizza. I love pizza more than you. You're quiet. I love pizza. I'm like a, I'm like, I, I like, I lust for pizza, any kind of pizza. I like expensive pizza. I like cheap pizza. I like pizza pizza. I like, I like Papa John's pizza with dippy sauce. I like pizza that comes in this frozen. I like every kind of pizza except for anchovies on pizza. Whoever came up with that will burn in hell because that <laughs> is not God's will. I like every kind of pizza. And so last year I realized I was getting a little bit too much pizza pizza. And so I decided to, um, to, for a month, just as an experiment, to eat nothing but fish, chicken, fruit, vegetables, oats, and egg whites. Nothing else. And guess what? A month into it, I was like, wow, I feel really good. I've got energy. And, and, and I thought, I'll, I'll go another month just for fun. And so I went another, uh, another month. And, and then I thought, I'll, just, I'll keep on going. And then a while later, I thought, you know, hey, I'll probably just eat better just because I love it. I feel good. But hey, life's short. Give me some pizza, okay? And about halfway through the first piece of pepperoni, I thought, this doesn't taste as good as it did three months ago. I don't know why, and I realized my appetite had changed. And then after I ate, you know, like half the pizza, like the good old days, I felt like the Pillsbury Doughboy. I felt horrible and just like. And, and what I realized is that that which I craved for had significantly changed. As I fed on stuff that was better for me, I stopped craving the junk food that wasn't as good for me, and my appetite had significantly changed. Here's the thing. If you start pursuing God and you start seeking God, suddenly you're going to see the benefits of walking led by the Spirit of God, empowered by His presence and His Spirit, and suddenly you'll long for more 
of him. And the junk food of this world, which distracted you, wasn't good for you, and didn't satisfy you, isn't going to be at the top of your cravings because now you're developing an appetite. You're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and you're fulfilled and satisfied as you're knowing, serving, and doing the will of God. Now, why doesn't this happen more in our homes? Why don't we see more homes that are blessed? Let me tell you what works and what doesn't work when it comes to building a home centered around Christ, and we'll start with what does not work. If you're taking notes, there are two things that do not work. The first thing is legalistic Christianity does not work. The second thing is lukewarm Christianity does not work. Legalistic Christianity and lukewarm Christianity never works. Let me give you some examples. What is legalistic Christianity? That's when we reduce Christianity in our homes to a bunch of do's and don'ts, cans and can'ts, should and shouldn'ts, ought and ought nots. Don't do this and don't do that and do this and it's a rule and if you're a good Christian, you always get it right. And whatever you do, kids, don't drink and don't smoke and don't chew and don't run with kids who do. For the glory of God, that's what makes a good Christian. It's the rules. The problem is, write this down, rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Have you ever seen that? And have you ever noticed that, that pastor's kids are known as the wild ones? Who's ever noticed that before? Anybody ever heard that, pastor's kids? Why is it? It's because rules, hey, perform, let's put on our best image for the church. If it's only rules without relationship, it leads to rebellion. Legalistic Christianity never works. The second thing that also doesn't work, lukewarm Christianity. What is that? That's when we believe in God, but we live as if he doesn't exist. It's cultural Christianity. It's Christian in name only, but no real passion for things that bring glory to God. Now, how do we know if you're a part of a lukewarm Christian home? And the answer is, I can't judge your faith. I don't, I, I, I don't know. But I'll tell you for me, here's how some indicators I would know that my home or I'm becoming more lukewarm. For example, if I can't tell you the last time we've prayed together as a family, I mean like really prayed, not rub-a-dub-dub, thank you for this grub, amen, let's eat. Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about coming together with our family and believing God for a miracle. Pray, praying for someone that doesn't know Christ. Asking God for him to direct us, for him to do something. If I can't name the last time that we've done that as a family, chances are I am allowing our family to become spiritually lukewarm. If I never ever say to my family, hey, today in my YouVersion Bible plan, God really spoke to me about this verse and I want to share it with you. Or, hey, today, you know, I was at the gym and I got to share my faith with this guy and it was amazing. Or, or I was praying for something and look what God did. If I'm never doing that with my family, for me, that's an indicator that I'm becoming lukewarm. If I'm never leading them out of a place that could be harmful to their faith or their relationships, like, hey, I know we paid for this movie, but Let's admit, man, I mean, we can't take here in God's name in vain 18 times in the first 12 seconds, you know. Let's just go. 
or let's turn the station because this isn't really good for us, or, or hey, you know, these friends, we love them and we'll continue to love them, but, you know, the places they want to go and things they want to do, it's really not a, consistent with our values, so we're going to love them, but a little more. If I'm not leading my family in that way, chances are I am lukewarm. If I never say to my family, hey, God has blessed us so much, we're, we're going to devote some time and serve somewhere else and do something for the glory of God. And, hey, let's go, let's, I mean, let's make a difference. And, and if we're never doing that and it's all about us, for me, we're becoming lukewarm. And honestly, legalism and lukewarm Christianity never works. Jesus said in Revelation 3, I'd rather you be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, what do you do? That's what he does. He spits you out. And those things simply don't work. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. So what does work? And what I want to do is give you the main thought that will direct us over the next four weeks. And it's, it's two statements, the second of which will be true to us. And at first glance, you may say, well, there doesn't seem to be a lot of difference, but as we dig into it, I believe that you will see a whole lot of difference. What does work? If you're taking notes, write this down. As a family, we are not just a Christian family. Instead, we are a Christ-centered home. Let's all say this aloud, all of our churches. Let's say both statements. We are not just a Christian family. What are we? We are a Christ-centered home. Now, come on, everybody. Work with me. Everybody say it aloud. All of our different churches. You guys in Florida, come on. Give me some love, okay? We are not just a Christian family. What are we? We are a Christ-centered home. Unfortunately, where I live today, you can call yourself a Christian family and that doesn't mean much, does it? About 80% or so of our country, yeah, we're, we're, we're Christians, we're Christians, we're Christians, but they are not Christ-centered homes. Now, I acknowledge that there are those of you from countries around the world, if you call yourself a Christian family where you live, that could cost you your life, and I acknowledge that. But where I live, people just call themselves Christian. You can call yourself a Christian, that doesn't mean you're a Christian. Okay? You can call yourself a duck, and you may be able to quack. But unless you can fly and lay an egg, you are not a duck. You're just a weird person quacking. <laughs> right? There's a big difference between saying, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we, you know, we're all Christians, right? When we're Christians, and saying, no, no, no. Jesus isn't just a part of our lives. He is the center of our lives. Our home is characterized by being christ Centered. Scripture doesn't say, blessed are those who believe in Christ when it's convenient for them. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If we don't, we need to change our appetites. I love the way David um, explained this. I love the imagery of his language in Psalm 63.1. He said, you, God, are my God. He said, earnestly I do what? He said, earnestly I seek you. He said, what else? I thirst for you. My whole being does what? It longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. You see that language? It isn't just a, hey, I want you when it's convenient for me. Hey, God, I kind of believe in you whenever I need you. 
No, it's, it's every moment of every day, I, every bit of me longs for you. We're not just a Christian family. We're a Christ-centered home. And so I interpreted and translated that verse toward the family just for fun to show you how it would sound. Would, would you help me out if we, if we made a, an edited version? It would go like this. You, God, are our God. Earnestly what? Say it with me. Earnestly, we seek you. We do what? We thirst for you. Our whole family does what? Our whole family longs for you. Imagine the, the silly things that we live for in the place of God. Oh, popularity, you are my God. I long for you in a dry and weary land. That sounds stupid, doesn't it? Oh, championship of the eight and under soccer league, you are my God. I long for you. It's stupid, right? Oh, new car. My butt longs for leather seats and butt warmers. You are my God. It's just, it's just stupid. And yet... That's the way so many of us live. And we wonder why we're so empty. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. So how do we do that, okay? I wanna take it from up here to kind of to a practical level. And, and I'll just, just say as, as simply as I can, this has been my philosophy um, in creating a Christ-centered home. What I wanna do, and I hope you'll wanna do this, is simply help your family, write this down, see God as loving, approachable, and involved. Very simple. We're going to help our family to see God as lovable. He loves you. He's approachable. You can go to him for anything and everything. He wants you to approach his throne of grace with boldness. And he's involved in all that you do. In fact, I, uh, this week I had to travel, and so I was working on my message about 11 o'clock one night because I had to get on an early flight. And Mandy, my daughter, came in. By the way, Mandy just graduated first in her class, was a valedictorian of her homeschool class just this week. Anybody want to clap for Mandy? First in her class, which is um, it's kind of funny because she's the only one to graduate in the homeschool class, but she was first. And uh, so anyway, I got pictures of her too. In fact, let's see, there's, uh, there she is giving her, her valedictorian speech. And uh, then this was Mandy getting her uh, diploma. Is it okay if I'm a proud dad every now and then? Can you endure that every now and then just a little bit? And so Mandy came in to, I'm, at, I'm sitting in bed, typing away, working on this. Mandy came and said, Mandy, I got to go to Florida tomorrow. I got to get this message turned in before I leave at 11 o'clock at night. Give, give me some advice, okay? What advice would you give another family to help create a Christ-centered home. And so Mandy, 17 years of age, didn't think about it, didn't, all she just said was, she just started talking, so I just started typing. And this is what she said, Mandy, what advice would you give? And she said this, you should create an environment where your kids wanna have discussions about God, so it's not something they feel like they have to do, but something they want to do. And I wrote that down as fast as I could and said that is absolutely and completely freaking brilliant. Here, here's what you should do 
from the mouth of a 17-year-old girl. You should create an environment where your kids want to have conversations about God. So it's not something they have to do, but it's something they want to do, which is exactly what Mandy did the night before when she came in again at about 11 o'clock because that's when teenage girls want to talk when it's time to sleep. And she came in and she said, Daddy, will you pray with me about my future because I really need to know what God wants me to do for my future. And that's not an unusual thing for her to ask because of a lifetime of making prayer a part of something that is in our family because we're not just gonna be a Christian family, but we're gonna be Christ-centered in all we do. So how do you do that? Okay, if you say, well, I don't know where to start, let me make it as simple as I can and give you three ways to create a hunger and a thirst for God. The first thing, if you're taking notes, is this. We're simply going to involve God in our daily conversations. When we're talking about anything, we're going to involve God in our daily conversations. And this may start out and it may seem kind of weird to you, but, it, but it's really simple, okay? You're driving along, you see a beautiful sunrise on the way to school, and instead of saying, man, that's awesome, instead you say something like, wow, look at the sunrise that God has blessed us with. And you're simply showing that God is a part of our conversations. And you do this in your marriage. Instead of saying, ma'am, I don't know what to do. What do you think we should do? Let's look at the pros. Let's look at the cons. What do you think we should do? I don't know. What do you think we should do? Instead, you say, wow, I wonder what God wants us to do. And suddenly, in your marriage, you are reminding yourself you're not just a Christian home. You're a christ centered home, and you involve God in your conversations. For years and years, I've told my kids over and over again, look at how God has blessed us. Look at how God has blessed us. You've all got great friendships, and you get to be a part of a church that's making a difference around the world, and we've got a family that's growing. Look at the way God has blessed us, years and years. Well, I heard my 12-year-old son, Sam, talking to his friend the other day who was down. And I overheard them in the other room. And Sam said, hey, listen, look at all the way God has blessed you. God has given you a new dad after your first dad left you. And God has given you two sisters who really, really love you. And hey, God has given you me as a friend. Look <laughs> at all the ways God has blessed you. And here's a 12-year-old kid who thinks it's absolutely normal to minister to a friend by talking about all the ways God has blessed us. Second thing, if you want to hunger and thirst for righteousness, is make church a non-negotiable. If you're a Christ-centered home, guess what you do? You make the priority of the worship of your God something that is non-negotiable. To take one hour a week to honor the creator and sustainer of this universe who sent his son Jesus to hear the proclamation of his word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you say to your family that we're going to go to church, period. We, listen, if you can't make it to live church, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, church online, you're not trying. Okay? You're a lazy bum. You can make it. And it's just, it's a part of who we are, the fellowship of the believers. In fact, my kids, that last weekend, I took a weekend off. I work all week and take weekends off occasionally to spend time leading the church and not just uh, a message preparation. And my sons had soccer tournaments, and I didn't want to miss another game. And so I took the weekend off. Pastor Sam 
uh, preached a great message. And, and here's the deal. We're off for the weekend, so did we go to church or not? We went to church twice, two different campuses, because our kids wanted to, because it's a part of our culture. It's what we do as a family. Whenever I want to get away for like four days, hey, kids, let's leave on Wednesday, get away for a few days. Like, no, Dad, we have to be here for switch because it's that important to us. Like, okay, so we're going to stay here for switch when God wants to minister to your dad on the beach. Fine, have it that way if that's what you want. But here's the thing. It's a part of our family culture that our kids wouldn't dare miss engaging with other believers and ministering to students. Make it a non-negotiable. And then number three, show how seeking and serving God is fun. It's fun. Uh, we couldn't get our family to pray together, so we came up with popcorn prayer time. What is that? We make a big bowl of popcorn, and the rule is you got to eat popcorn before you pray, and then you got to actually sneak in a piece of popcorn when you're praying, and then you got to eat a bunch of popcorn when you're done praying. And guess what? Popcorn prayer night is a family favorite. We just made prayer fun. Uh, in the mornings when I get up for work, 6.30 in the morning, my two sons are the first ones up, they're early risers, and I'll look at, I'll walk in 6.45, and uh, at the kitchen table, Sam, who's 12, and Stephen, or Buki, we call him, who's 10, they're doing their daily Bible study at the table um, every single day. And you're like, wow, how'd you train them to do that? Let me tell you something, this is absolutely true. We never ask them to do it. It's not a rule. It's just a part of our culture. They've seen their mom do it every day, They've seen their dad do it every day. They've seen their older brothers and sisters, their older sisters do it every single day. And so it's just what we do. It's a part of the culture and the family. Never ask them to do it. They just do it because it's a part of the culture. It's fun. And here's the thing. We don't have to tell them to be good when we're already seeking the one who is good. That's so good, I'm going to say it again. I may tweet that later on, okay? We, we don't have to tell them to be good when we're already seeking the one who is good. We seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6.33, and then everything else will be added unto you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This will sound crazy to you, but I've got a 19-year-old daughter and a 17-year-old daughter, and Amy and I never told them, don't have sex with boys, don't, we never told them, don't party, don't drink, don't do drugs. We never told them that. Never one time did we tell them that. My 19-year-old and 17-year-old daughter have never kissed a boy ever because they don't think that those hairy-legged creatures are pursuing God enough for them right now. And that's just kind of where they stand. And some of you are going to go, well, that's just weird. You're raising weird kids. Okay, we could do that or raise normal kids that have eight sexual partners before the age of 18. Which do you want, normal or weird? I'm taking those who are different, pursuing God and his righteousness. Now, you say, okay, rah, rah, Pastor Craig. Good for you, you little homeschool cute family. Okay, you don't live in the real world. Okay, we could never have that. Listen to me. You can have what God wants you to have if you will pursue God, period. You say, but you don't know how, how messed up we are. You don't know how bad it is. I mean, I'm trying to keep my 14-year-old off. You, know, I, 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 you, you have no idea. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. You can have what God wants you to have if you pursue him. Don't give me excuses. Gentlemen, get up off your butts and lead. Lead toward a Christ-centered culture. Lead toward it. Lead toward it. You say, I don't know where to start. Hey, we made it as simple as you can. Can you, can you show it's a blessing to serve God? Yes, you can. Can you make church a priority? Yes, you can. Can you involve God in your conversations? Yes, 
you can. And I love what Joshua said very simply. He said this in Joshua 24, 15. He said, then choose for yourselves what? Say that phrase aloud. He said, choose for yourselves what? He said, choose for yourselves this day. Say it again. He said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, who are we going to serve? He said, we're going to serve the Lord. Here it is. You choose today. You choose this day. You choose this day. You choose this day. Are you going to be a Christian home in name only, blending in like the culture, or are you going to be a Christ-centered home? You make the choice this day because blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Father, we pray that your spirit would lovingly convict our hearts, that we wouldn't blend in as cultural Christians believing in you, but living as if you do not exist. God, that we would not be legalistic in rules above relationship, nor God would we be lukewarm, but on fire, passionate, Christ-centered homes, seeking you above all else. As you pray today at all of our different churches, there are those of you, you're gonna say, hey, I, I may call myself a Christian, but I'm not really Christ-centered. Uh, you may say, I'm a, I call myself a Christian student, but I'm not a Christ-centered student. I'm, I'm an athlete. I'm a jock. Yeah, I try to be a good Christian athlete. But you say, no, I want to be a Christ-centered one. We kind of call ourselves a Christian family, but we want to be Christ-centered. All of our different churches, those of you who recognize there's a lot of room for improvement, I want to seek him First, in all ways. I want to create a culture that is Christ-centered. I want to be more Christ-centered and lead those around me to be the same. If that's you today, would you just humbly lift up your hand right now? Hi, all of our different churches and say, this is something I really desire for us. God, thank you for those who take this call seriously. God, I pray that by the power of your spirit, at this moment, you would convict us and give us hope. God, show us that not only is there a need, but it is absolutely possible that we can choose this day very simply to start involving you in our conversation. God, to put you first in a place of worship every week as a family or with our close friends. And God, to see and let the overflow of how good it is to know you and serve you be a blessing to all those around us. Look at how blessed we are, God, to get to serve you. God, I pray that we would be Christ-centered in our hearts and you would help us to lead those around us to Christ-centered lives, all for your glory. As you keep praying today at all of our different churches, there are some of you that this, this message, it just almost seems distancing for you. You're like, blessed are the righteous. I am, I am, I am not even close to righteous. I am completely unrighteous. I've got really good news if you feel that way. I am too, and everybody here is. We are all grossly unrighteous, sinful in the eyes of a holy God, and incapable of living a righteous life on our own. The good news is that we're not made righteous in the eyes of God, by what we do or don't do, but we're actually made righteous 
by faith in Jesus, the perfect, sinless Son of God, by faith our sins are forgiven so that positionally we can be made right before God. And then empowered by his spirit, practically we can start to live a life that is, that is pleasing to him. At all of our different churches, there are those of you, you're being drawn to God right now. You recognize, I need his grace. I need his forgiveness. Today I call on him. When you do, your sins will be forgiven. There are a bunch of others of you that you call yourself a Christian, but you look at your life and you say, I'm not Christ-centered at all. This was me. I called myself a Christian for years, and I was not. I didn't know him. He wasn't first. He wasn't the Lord of my life. And that's why many of you are here, to call on him now, at this moment. Choose this day, now, who you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And all of our different churches, those of you who would say, yes, I call on him. Yes, I put him first. Yes, I need his grace. I surrender my life to him. Raise your hands high now all over the place. Put them up right now and leave them up all over the place. I want to just see you right up here. God bless you. Both of you right here together. Praise God for you. Leave them up. I want to see you eye to eye here in this middle section right back here. All five, six, seven of you in this middle section right across here. Both of you together. Praise God for you. Ma'am, right back here. All three of you and three of you here as well. Praise God for you guys. This whole row back here, both of you together, man. The Spirit of God is moving way back over here. Others of you today say yes. All of you right here, three in this row, both of you. Praise God right back here in this section. We've got entire families coming to Christ together. Praise God for you. Way back over there as well and over here in this section. Would you all just pray aloud with those around you over here. God bless you, sweetheart, as well. Pray aloud. Pray, Heavenly Father, we surrender our hearts to you. Jesus, save us from our sins. Make us new. Be the center, the Savior, the Lord of our lives. Fill us with your spirit so we could serve you for the rest of our lives. Thank you for new life. Our life is not our own. We give it to you for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Life Church, go crazy welcoming those born into the family of God. Go crazy. Worship God. Welcome those today.